Good morning. The scripture on which I'll be preaching today is from 1 Kings 18, 17 to 39. As soon as Ahab saw Elijah, he said to the prophet, Is it really you, Israel's troublemaker? It is not I who brought trouble to Israel, Elijah replied, but you, you and your father's family, for abandoning the commandments of Yahweh and following Baal. Now, summon all of Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel, including 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent messengers throughout the length and breadth of Israel and had prophets assemble at Mount Carmel. Elijah stepped forward toward the people, saying, How long will you sit on the fence? If Yahweh is God, follow Yahweh. But if Baal is God, then follow Baal. No one said a word. Then Elijah said, I am the only prophet of Yahweh left, but there are 450 of Baal. Bring two bulls for us. Let them choose, one for themselves, cut it up, lay it on the wood without setting fire to it, and I will prepare another bull and lay it on the wood without setting fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Yahweh, and the one who answers with fire is God. Agreed? And all the people shouted their approval. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light it on fire. So they took the bull that was given to them and they prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning until midday. Answer us, Baal, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. And they did a ceremonial dance around the altar that they made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Baal is a god, isn't he? Maybe he's meditating. Or maybe he's off relieving himself. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's just asleep and you need to wake him up. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and with spears, as was their custom, until they were covered in blood. Midday passed, and they continued with their frantic prophesying until it was evening and time for the sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, come to me. And they came to him, and he prepared the altar of Yahweh, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, whom Yahweh had told, your name will be Israel. And with these stones he built an altar in the name of Yahweh, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two measures of seed, and he arranged the wood cut up the bowl and laid it on the wood. And then he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the whole offering and on the wood. And they did. And then he said, do it again. And they did it again. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and even filled up the trench. At the hour of the regular offering, the prophet Elijah came forward and he prayed, Yahweh, God of Abraham and Sarah, of Isaac and Rebekah, God of Israel and Rachel and Leah, prove today that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant and have done these things at your command. 
Answer me, Yahweh. Answer me and let these people know that you, Yahweh, are our God, that it is you who will turn their hearts back to you. And then fire from Yahweh fell from the heavens, consuming the whole offering, the stones, the wood, and the dirt, and licking up the water from the trench. At the sight, the people fell down on the ground, crying, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. At the beginning of this story that I read, quite a dramatic story, we start with, uh, with Ahab and Elijah in this kind of a back and forth between each other. Elijah is a prophet, Ahab is a king, and Ahab's reputation in the Bible is not a very good reputation. He's married to, king, to Queen Jezebel, who is a foreigner, who's brought false gods into this, the nation. And together, the pair of them, is uh, Ahab and Jezebel, they are murderers and they are tyrants. And a story as an example of their uh, sort of misdeeds, uh, which the high school class, Sunday school class and I read a couple weeks ago, uh, Ahab wanted this piece of land from a man named Naboth. He went and asked for it, and Naboth said, no, I don't want to sell you this land. This is mine. This is my family, like the, the land of my family's legacy. I'm not selling it to you. So Ahab goes home, and he's sulking. And Jezebel says, oh, don't you worry about them. And she goes, arranges for Naboth to be killed. And then uh, Ahab celebrates, the man is dead. I can have the land. And Elijah didn't like that very much. He had some things to say at that time. And he didn't like this very much either. Ahab calls out to Elijah and says, hey, you troublemaker, because I'm sure Elijah has been a thorn in his side. Elijah's doing his job as a prophet. But Elijah sort of turns that around, and it's sort of like a, I know you are, but what am I? Like a, sort of feels like a schoolyard going on here. But Ahab is the troublemaker. Like, that is, that is an accusation that sticks. Because... Ahab and his father's family, Elijah tells him, you are the troublemakers, you are the ones who have abandoned God's commandments. Follow Jezebel's god Baal into trouble. And that choice to follow this other god, never mind the murder and the tyranny and the terrible ways of ruling, that is troublesome. And then Elijah more or less challenges uh, Ahab to a holy duel, dueling of the gods. But Elijah is doing what prophets are called to do, speaking truth to power, naming injustice, calling both the king and God's people back to God. Elijah confronts Ahab with courage, with humor, and although this challenge is theatrical, it's bombastic, it's, uh, it's like over the top, Ultimately, he comes before God with prayerful humility. So first, courageous. These are, some, these are some of the ways I think we could follow in Elijah's troublesome footsteps. Courage. He approaches Ahab, though he knows he does so at great risk. All other prophets of Yahweh have been killed. Jezebel is taking them down one after the other after the other. Approaching Ahab could very well mean Elijah's own death. And humor. Elijah knows how to do sarcasm. 
Uh, and it's really a shame how much some of this conversation from the Bible is lost in the translation. When the prophets of Baal, I mean, first the like, you know, like the taunting tone he takes with Ahab, which also at risk to himself. And then when the prophets of Baal are doing their rain dance or whatever it is around the altar, Elijah starts trash talking them. Ooh, where's your God now? Is he off on vacation? Maybe he's meditating and can't hear you. Is he on the toilet? He can't get up? And seriously, this is Elijah making poop jokes. They are in the Bible. Lost in translation, the whole thing is just a theater of the absurd, the grandeur, the pomp, the circumstance. And then ultimately, although the whole production, this fire call down from heaven, this over-the-top gong show that Elijah is uh, orchestrating here, ultimately he comes before God prayerfully and submissively saying, God, turn their hearts toward you. And he challenges the people There's an echo here of Joshua's challenge to the people of God saying, choose, choose life, choose to follow the God of life. He prays, let them turn their hearts back toward you, God. May they know you to be their own. Today, we not only have the prophetic troublemakers of scripture, Elijah and the prophets, Jesus' disciples, We have so many biblical examples of people who are making trouble on God's behalf. And we have so many of our own saints who have gone before us, who show us the way. Showing us how to confront power with courage and humor and humility. I have to be honest, when I was thinking about who who does spectacle and irreverence, and humor confronting powers of injustice, the first people I thought of were the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. I can tell some of you maybe have heard of these, uh, these women. If you have been to a pride parade, you have for sure seen these sisters. Uh, this is a quote about how they describe themselves. A leading edge order of queer and trans nuns who believe all people have a right to express their unique joy and beauty. Since their first appearance in San Francisco on Easter Sunday, 1979, the sisters have devoted themselves to community service, ministry, and outreach to those on the edges to promote human rights, respect for diversity, and spiritual enlightenment. They use humor and irreverent wit to expose the forces of bigotry, complacency, and guilt that chain the human spirit. I encourage you to Google them the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Their mixture of humor and joy and courageous challenge, their passion for justice, is a pretty sainted kind of troublemaking. And I've also been thinking this week week about saints in my own history and heritage. I noted last week that I learned recently about the Mennonite Quaker folks from Germantown, Pennsylvania. Garrett Hendrick, Derek Optograph, Francis Danielle Pastorius, and Abraham Optengraf, they were Dutch Mennonites who, when they immigrated to the United States in the 1600s, joined up with Quakers in Pennsylvania. And they were so disturbed by the practice of enslaving their fellow humans that in 1688 they wrote the first documented treatise against slavery. 
based on their belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ who said, treat others as you would want to be treated. When I think about my identity as a white person and my whiteness, I feel very proud that I have these roots in my theological heritage. In addition to my sainted Mennonite forebears whose farmland tilled the grass, whose farms tilled the grassland of Cree and Chippewa, I'm grateful that I can also claim, in addition to being a colonial settler, that there are brave souls in my theological heritage who wrote this. I'm contemporizing the language a little bit. Now, though they are black, we cannot conceive that there is more liberty, that there is more liberty to have them as slaves as it is to other white ones. There is a saying that we shall do to all people as we would have done to ourselves, making no difference of what generation or descent or color they are. And those who are people, those who steal away people, and those who buy or purchase them, purchase them, are they not all alike? Here is a liberty of conscience which is right and reasonable. Here ought to be liberty of body. But to bring people here, to steal and sell them against their will, we stand against this. I feel very proud (laughs) of those first Mennonites, of those Mennonites uh, and Quakers, to have them in my heritage. Now, humor, maybe not so much. They could have thrown in a few (laughs) one-liners. But as newly arrived immigrants who were struggling to articulate their theological thoughts in a language that was not their own, and afraid maybe of what the consequences might be on them, I'll give them a pass for not including potty jokes. These saints and so many more uh, from our history and even now challenge us to turn away from the false gods of violence division, oppression, and turn toward the one in whom is a just peace. May these be the saints that we turn to as we seek the face of the divine. May these be the saints for our children and for future generations, and may we be such saints for our children. And may we, young and old, become like the best of our beloved saints who confront injustice with humor, with courage, with challenge, and with prayerful humility. Amen.